Hi, everybody. Welcome to Unrestricted, the podcast that interviews noted public figures that have now returned to a more private life. My name is Steve Savitsky, president of B'nai Tzion Foundation, former president and chairman of many Jewish organizations. The people you're about to meet have great wisdom and experience. They were all leaders in the Jewish world and have much to share, unrestricted, with our listening audience. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Unrestricted. And today I have a really, really special guest for me personally, uh, Rabbi Heshi Billet, who was the rabbi of the Young Israel of Woodmere for over 40 years, the largest Young Israel in North America, also the president of the Rabbinical Council of America, a real activist, uh, an incredible person, and I'm proud to say I've been a member of his synagogue for decades and decades, and it's great to see you back, Rabbi Billet, and I know you're here in Chutzlars because you had a knee replacement. So firstly, I'm sure people would like to know, how are you, how are you doing, how's the rehabilitation going, etc.? Thank God I'm doing quite well. The only thing I can't do is a punt for the Giants for two reasons. First of all, the knee replacement was my left knee, and I'm a righty. And secondly, I can't punt. So uh, thank God uh, we're making some progress, but not there yet. Okay, very good. Good to hear that you're doing well. Baruch Hashem. And I can tell you that certainly the people in the community in Woodmere certainly miss you. And I don't know if people know you're back because you haven't gotten out so much, but once the word gets out, your house might be inundated with uh, worshipers. It already is. There's so many people outside waiting, and we have them waiting around the block because I told them I have to do a podcast. So I told them that if they wait an hour, they could come in. Okay, that's good. That's good to hear that. So, okay, so let's get started a little bit. So you, you were rabbi for some decades and decades in the Young Israel, and then actually before that in Muncie, just for a few years. I don't know how long you were in Muncie for, but you've been a rabbi for, for so long. No question, it's a public position, on call, 24-7, speaking, interviews, drushes, and then you adjust and you have a private life. So how has it gone? I mean, uh, was it a hard thing to adjust to, to not being a rabbi anymore? Uh, I can only speak for myself, obviously. I have heard that some of my colleagues actually have had a hard time adjusting, and some have done quite well. We've done quite well. Uh, we're. Uh, uh, I think one of the things, the difficulties in adjusting is if you're not busy and, uh, you know, in the rabbinate, you you have to be, as you said, it's a full-time job. In addition to teaching and speaking, there's uh, funerals, weddings, uh, there's advising people, meeting them, etc. So it's a, a, a pretty um, uh, busy schedule. And uh, when you retire, you don't have that schedule. But thank God uh, we're, we're busy. Uh, we, we both uh, had, uh, my wife was a school principal for almost as long as I was a shul rabbi, uh, both elementary and, uh, and high school. And uh, we, we have a busy life in Israel. We're involved in a lot of things, and uh, our days are very full. So we're very happy. So you've made, you've made the adjustment. But what, there must be some things you missed about being a rabbi, aren't there? Depends what you mean by miss. There were things that I enjoyed in the rabbinate. Uh, in an idealistic sense, I'd say I enjoyed helping people. Um, I certainly enjoyed imparting... Um, when I said something wise, uh, wisdom to people. I made plenty of mistakes also, as many as what we all do, we all make mistakes. So um, I miss doing good things, but uh, I'm not bereft. 
In other words, I, en I enjoyed much of what I did in the rabbinate. There were things I did not enjoy, uh, but it was part of the job. And it's very simple for us. Uh, we, we were very familiar with Israel, very well connected there, and we're very busy there and very happy. So what do you do? Since, you, since you're so busy, maybe you could tell everybody what you do in Israel. Besides, I know you take a lot of walks. Hopefully, God willing, once your knees are better, you'll be out there going on your hikes and everything else. But what else are you doing? Well, only in Israel can you fulfill kum hitalech baretz, get up and walk the land. Uh, but um, I have involvement with, uh, let's say, for example, the, the Tikva Fund. I'm often asked to, to consult on, on, on different matters in the rabbinate here in America. I'm connected to the uh, rabbinical council here in America. I'm connected to all sorts of different programs. I mean, for example, we're doing something very interesting. Rabbi J.J. Schachter started a, um, a program a number of years ago when he visited um, Normandy, and he noticed in the U.S. military cemetery there, he thought there were too few Jewish stars. And whatever connections he made, he did a major investigation, and he started a program called uh, Project or Operation Benjamin. Right. They replace uh, headstones that are there with crosses from World War II with Jewish stars with the permission of the family. And he's unable to go, for example, uh, to the Pacific Southwest. So we are going, my wife and I were going to Manila and to um, the bridge over the River Kwai in Thailand and to U.S. military cemeteries, and we're doing the same thing. So that's uh, something that we're busy with. And there are other, all sorts of, we're involved with the Tikva, Tikva Fund, which is a right of center um, political fund, which does things in support of uh, Medina Israel. It's not, it's not a bunch of fanatics. It's not an extremist organization. Uh, and we also have an opportunity to attend uh, social events more than we were able to. By social events, I mean to go to concerts and to go to the theater uh, and to uh, to tour the land. So yes, I mean, I do have more downtime in the sense that I can do things that I enjoy. So yes, um, I can hike. We love hiking. We're, we're big hikers and we believe in, in, in seeing the land. That's wonderful. No, I know that. There's no question. I remember, of course, when you were the rabbi, you had your trips, those special trips you used to have every year and people would go on the trips and, and enjoy them. So that's, that's good, good to hear that. So let's say the rabbis who you were saying, there are some rabbis who haven't adjusted as well. Why do you think that is? Do you think they just don't have things to do now? They're not busy? Is that what it is? I think that possibly they're not that busy. Uh, in other words, they, they may have had uh, smaller congregations. Uh, they, I don't know, I had a very large congregation. So a lot of people, so if you have a congregation of over 1,200 families, it's inevitable that families are going to be in touch with you to try to help them. We have a lot of kids from the shul who go to Israel. We have contact with the children who, who, go, to, who go to Israel. I, I don't know. Some people simply, they're, they're bored. They have nothing to do. Maybe they weren't connected to a lot of different organizations. They're not called upon for too many things. And it's, um, it's a rather dramatic change of, of lifestyle. And I guess if, if you don't feel um, active in something, if you're basically sitting, sitting and all you can, now it's not so terrible to sit and learn Torah. You know, we do that also. And to read, we do that also. But I guess uh, people who are used to not doing only that find it difficult to put in a full day of just learning Torah and reading and not doing too many other things. I don't I can't I, I never had a long discussion with any of my colleagues uh, about that. Yeah, no, there's no question that, you know, I know people who retire and they want to uh, learn, but you have to be realistic about your expectations. I know personally, 
And so far, Baruch Hashem, I still work. But, uh, you know, when if, if if and when I do retire, I mean, I'd love to learn two, three hours a day, but I just can't see myself spending a whole day. I could see two, three hours. I definitely have things that I want to learn. But, you know, I, I agree with you about that. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no question about that. So when you do learn, who do you have a chavrusa? Or? I actually do learn with my wife. We do have a chavrusa. And otherwise, I learn, I learn by myself. I don't have a, a special chavrusa with whom I learn with. Some people do, and that's a, certainly a, a good thing. But I'm, uh, you know, thank God I, um, I'm happy to to learn and read uh, the things that I read in my in my my svarim, and uh, I'm capable. My Hebrew is fluent, and my Aramaic is pretty fluent. So I'm, I'm you know, able to um, enjoy my learning, even though it's uh, mostly solo. Okay, I hear that. Now, obviously, knowing you all the years, I know that Rosalovichik was your Rebbe who you learned by, but who's actually, who's your Rav? Do you have somebody like over the years who you turn to for, I guess, Piske Halacha, advice? I, I, I don't, interesting that I asked that question knowing you for so many years. Yes, I mean, I think that a shul rabbi has to have somebody he turns to for Halacha questions. There are things that a shul rabbi should know. You, mean, you should know basic Mishnah Brewer and Hilcho Shabbos and Hilchos Kashrus and Mezuzah and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there are things that you're asked questions that are not black and white in the in the Shulchan Aruch or in the Gemara. So uh, I, there are a, a different group, a bunch of people I used to ask. I, I used to um, ask with Aaron Lichtenstein a, a lot of questions, especially questions which come to moral issues. It was a little bit difficult with Rav Lichtenstein because he would always lay out all the possibilities and the subcategories of each possibility. And so, but you sometimes you need a definitive answer. So I used to ask uh, Rabbi Herschel Schechter of YU and Rabbi Mordechai Willig. Rabbi Mordechai Willig was a very good source because not only was he a Rosh Hashiva and a Talmud Chacham, he was also a shul rabbi. Right. So he had a sense for uh, what it means to be a community rabbi and the different issues that you have to face in, in a community. So those were the people, and basically my go-to people. On occasion in Israel now, I call Rabbi Usha Weiss. Um, okay. That's good. So now that you're kind of out of the rabbinate into a different phase of your life, you could kind of look back from a kind of global point of view. And I just really want to get your thoughts about, let's talk about American Jewry. What, what's your take on it? I mean, the future, we're dealing with terrible assimilation. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have my own feelings about it, but I really like to hear what you think about where are we going in American Jewry? Well, it's been quite a while that the statistics uh, talk about uh, intermarriage rate well over 50 percent in America and in certain cities so over 75 or 80 percent intermarriage. Uh, American Jewry um, does have a, a problem in terms of uh, continuity and by continuity, but continuity is meant by in, in different ways. If you don't have Jewish education, uh, you're already at a disadvantage. Uh, the further you are away from um, who you, you're from your grandparents or great grandparents, the more difficult it is to continue. I was listening today to an interview, actually, with one of the members of the Knesset, who was not personally Dati, uh, Yoav Gallant. He was, a, he was a general in the army. His last army role was uh, the commander of the Southern Command in, in one of the uh, early uh, uh, 21st century uh, Gaza Wars. Very talented uh, general. And he spoke about the fact that we in Israel, who are second or third or fourth generation uh, Olim to the country. We all had grandparents or great grandparents who looked like the Haredim. And we who understand that know that Jewish tradition is very important and very important for Jewish continuity. 
So in Israel, where people speak Hebrew and maybe have a little bit more uh, Jewish background, the intermarriage rate obviously is lower because there are Jews there mostly, but uh, there are problems even there. And so I think that here, without Jewish education and without some sort of family continuity, it's it's very, very hard to continue. And as the generations pass, it's going to continue to be difficult uh, and, and more difficult. No, I, I agree with you. And it's a very frustrating uh Frustrating for me, obviously, as someone who I think has been uh, somewhat of a leader in the Jewish community for so many years, thinking about, are there any solutions? I, I, you know, I agree with you. Education is, is key. I don't know when I meet with so many people who are non-affiliated, reform, conservative, the depth of knowledge of Judaism is so so small. I mean, it's just like it's infinitesimal. They know nothing at all about being Jewish. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, we're stagnating. We have maybe six million Jews in America, and the Torah world is growing, but the rest of the world is just dissipating. I think that maybe also it, it's important to get Jews, people who at least know that they're Jewish, involved in something Jewish. In other words, when you take an organization, you were the president of the uh, the Union of Orthodox Jewish Congregations of America. So the OU has, uh, at least for kids, it has NCSY. So you get kids involved, kids who go to synagogues who might not be from Orthodox families, at least have the opportunity to experience the Shabbos, the Yom Tov, and, and activities. And uh, the kids themselves sometimes bring their families back, or they themselves at least come back closer to Judaism. They Maybe they go to Yeshiva University afterwards, or they, they go to uh, Hillel or Yavna on campus, and uh, they belong to the, an Orthodox uh, organization on campus. Or uh, for that matter, look, I have to say something which maybe is a little controversial. You know, I believe that it's important for the conservative and reform movements to have continuity, because at least if Jews in America can, can latch on to something Jewish, it gives them an opportunity to remain connected. If they take a trip to Israel and they go to the Kotel and they run, it gives them an opportunity to be connected. Any opportunity which can keep people connected to something Jewish is a possible source of continuity, not necessarily when you're you know, not that knowledgeable and you, you don't live your, your, your life on a regular basis as a, uh, a Jew who's observant. So why do you why do you think that's controversial? I don't see that being controversial. I mean, I think everybody agrees. And listen, I think people who are smart, intelligent people would love to see the conservative movement and reform movement grow and, and prosper because it's just going to help Jewish life in general all over the world. I don't think that what you just said is a simple matter. There are some people who are very ideological and they simply say they dismiss the conservative movement and they consist dismiss the reform movement as, excuse my expression, as chazer treif, and uh, they don't see value in them. Uh, you know, I, I uh, for one, would, uh, would not uh, daven in a conservative or reform minion if I was invited to a bar mitzvah, I would daven in an orthodox minion and then go over to the bar mitzvah to wish the people mazel tov. And if the caterer was a, a, a reliably kosher caterer, I would, I would eat at the kiddush. But uh, there are people who simply will not walk into a conservative synagogue, will not walk into a reform synagogue, and simply they dismiss those people. I think it's a sin to dismiss people. 
I understand what you're saying. No, I, I say, as far as dismiss people, I just think that if you have a thriving conservative synagogue and the people go to Israel on a regular basis, they come to services, the likelihood is that their children will marry Jewish. And that's really, to me, that's the ikar right now. That's what we, we have to strive for that if we possibly can. I don't know. You know, I'm very involved with Partners in Torah. That's one of the reasons I got involved because I just felt that if we could take people who are somewhat knowledgeable, learning with other people who are out there. And there's nobody better, I think, than the modern Orthodox Jew who lives in all the worlds and when people see that. But in any event, that's another discussion. You know, can't, we live in an age of cancel culture. Cancel, when you're canceling people, you're committing a great sin. Cancel culture is a form of killing people because you basically say, they're not worth anything. They, they have no value for me as a Jew. That's a very, that's a big sin. No, I agree. Let's talk about the rise in anti-Semitism here. I mean, what? I mean, you are you surprised about what's going on now in America with anti-Semitism? I think that anti-Semitism has always been here. I think that there, there are different forms of anti-Semitism. There's religious anti-Semitism, which was a function of what the Jews experienced, for example, in the Middle Ages with the with the Church, when you had the Holy Roman Empire, and the Church was really and not only in charge of religion, they were in charge of uh, all the monarchies and the kings. They had religious anti-Semitism. You also have what, uh, unfortunately, we experienced with the, with the Germans and the racial anti-Semitism of the Nazis. Uh, so there are all sorts of different forms of anti-Semitism. I think that they have always been around. You have the, uh, the observation of the Talmud, Halacha B'Yadua, Esav Sonei et Yaakov, Esav hates Yaakov. I don't think that everyone is an anti-Semite. Uh, anti-Semitism is basically a form of, uh, of ignorance, and it's around. And, and, and I think that today we're in America, uh, maybe it's more than it was in the past. I'm not, I'm not really so sure. If you read about Father Coughlin uh, in the 1930s and 40s and the, uh, the Christian front, there was a lot of anti-Semitism then. But today we live in an age of media and media of all forms. It's not only a newspaper, uh, it's not only a television set, it's the internet. And so any idea, good or bad, can be spread around much more easily and becomes more popular or more well-known. So I think that we're uh, particularly sensitive to uh, what we see as the growth of anti-Semitism in America. It may be, I'm not sure, I'm not a, I'm not a sociologist, I'm not a statistician, but I also think that, you know, the, the availability of social media makes us much more aware of these things and makes our enemies much more aware of us. And so uh, I, I just can't say that I know that there's more anti-Semitism now. It's certainly more pronounced to all of us. Right. I just want to switch gears just for a moment. So I want to talk about life cycles. Organizations have life cycles. Every, everything in the world has a life cycle. And in the Jewish world, organizations never die. They just continue. So I want to talk about the National Council of Young Israel. You, particularly as a rabbi of the largest National Young Israel, Young Israel of Woodmere, here's an organization today. Uh, you, most of the Young Israels belong to the OU, actually. They, they have dual membership. Do you still see a role for the National Council of Young Israel? Do you think it's time for that organization? And they, they were great. I Believe me, I'm the first one to tell you, without National Council of Young Israel, who knows what Judaism would have been in the 40s and the 50s and even the 60s. They did a fantastic job. But do they still have a relevant role today? And if, if so, what is it? Well, 
Uh, I do think, uh, you know, there was a time in my in my career where I felt that the OU and the National Council should merge. I think that uh, there there is a certain um, I don't want to say use the word waste, but the money is being expended uh, for the same exact thing. You had half the the staff, you know, you had one executive director and one whatever whatever is needed to run the organization, it would be a big savings. But Young Israel is a brand name. Anyone knows that if a synagogue is called Young Israel, it's Orthodox, it's Zioni, uh, it advocates the importance of Torah education, it also sees value in secular education, it's also an opportunity for people to get together on a, on a social basis with people of like thoughts. That's what National Council always was, and it played a very important role in America at one time. In retrospect, I think it still plays an important role, because the fact of the matter is that a Young Israel National Council is not merging with the OU, but the Young Israel National Council, I think today, you know, Rabbi Sturm, Zechmon uh, in his time, I think he was the man who really built the National Council into something, uh, Rabbi Frank Sturm, Ephraim Sturm. Uh, and I think today, David Warshaw is trying very, very hard to, uh, to do things as well. And I think that if the organizations can't merge, the, the more that they cooperate, at least, together, and even if they ran joint programs, it would be a, a good thing for the Orthodox Jewish community. And maybe if they work together more and more, who knows what might come in the long run uh, out of that. Other than that, I really I can't say. I, I do see value in the Young Israel Synagogues. And um, since it's never happened, I don't know um, things that have not happened, how they would play out in the, uh, on the big screen of Jewish life in America. I hear you. Yeah, no question. We talked about merging, and uh, I was involved in that also. But okay, I, I, I do think they, I think they do cooperate. But I think sometimes there's a, a duplication of efforts. Uh, but okay, listen, it's not. It, it serves a purpose. There's no question about it. I was just curious. What about what about the RCA? And you, I mean, you were the president of the RCA. Now there's another group now. I forgot what's the name of the other group that was. They uh, they advertise that they have two thousand rabbis and they're they're talking all the time. They're always putting out press releases. So I mean, was that a, was that because did they belong to the RCA at one time? Those rabbis and they. I think, I think a lot of those rabbis. I forget what they're called. Also, I think they belong to the RCA. They're let, let, let's say what the RCA is first of all, and let's say what it isn't. Uh, the RCA in theory is not a political organization. The RCA and the OU in theory are a. Um, are two parts of a greater whole, the OU being a synagogue organization and the RCA being a rabbinic organization. And the RCA, at least on paper, I believe, is the rabbinic organization for the OU. So in theory, the RCA is supposed to give the piske halacha. When the, when the Rav was around, so the Rav was the man for the OU and the RCA, it was very, very simple then. Today, it's not so simple. And uh, I, I um, suspect that the, the OU, for example, looks to, might look to, not doesn't look to the RCA, but looks to other people who the RCA may agree are, are important post Uh The RCA is a fraternal organization. It, it provides a lot of opportunities for rabbis, uh, number one, um, uh, in terms of their future with their pension fund. I think they have conferences and conventions which provide opportunities for rabbi to talk with each other and to hear shiurim together. And this other organization that was formed, uh, uh, I forget what it's called, I think it was formed to bypass certain things that the RCA wouldn't do in terms of taking right of center political positions publicly. The other organization is, I think, quite political and quite uh, center right in its political views. 
And I think that they may not have been happy with the fact that the RCA didn't take strong right-wing religious positions or strong right-wing uh, political positions. And so they formed their own organization. Uh, that, that happens a lot, right? We People form organizations. So uh, it's not an organization that meets on a regular basis in terms of having uh, conventions. Or, but given the reality of social media and the fact that you can connect with a lot of people on the Internet, uh, I think that happens. I think that the, even in that organization, there are a few people who are articulate and uh, who voice the opinions, and they say that they are speaking for all those rabbis. If they are or not, I don't know. But uh, the, the, the social media has, has helped spawn an organization like that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just curious about that, because every time I, 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 I see one of their press releases, they're adding more rabbis, you know, like they said, we represent a thousand rabbis, and a few weeks later, they're representing 1,500 rabbis, 2,000 rabbis, and yes, there's no question, they definitely are more political, and they're definitely more right of center, uh, but I was just curious about that. So over the years, obviously, you've had thousands of balabatim, especially in your shul, so describe to me as a rabbi... What's the perfect balabas? Perfect balabas is first and foremost a mensch, okay. a nice person. A perfect balabas uh, in a religious sense is somebody who is serious about shviras mitzvos. In the ideal sense is somebody who goes to shul uh, every day, certainly comes to shul on Shabbos, has a blech on his stove and, and, and knows uh, on Shabbos, and uh, is a sincere Jew and uh, tries to support the synagogue. Supporting the synagogue comes in different forms. Sometimes it's one form that's important for any synagogue is financial, because otherwise uh, the synagogue cannot afford to function. Another form is uh, to support uh, important ideas for the synagogue uh, and uh, and to be positive. Uh, that by being positive doesn't mean you're not allowed to be critical. The question is how are you critical? Are you critical in a constructive way or are you critical in a destructive way? Uh, it's never, I don't think it's ever good to be critical in, the, in a destructive way and uh, basically a decent organization. Obviously, you want to destroy evil, right? You, you know, but uh, most synagogues are not evil and human beings are all imperfect, including rabbis. And, uh, and so to be uh, constructively critical, even of the rabbi, is, is fine. And there are different ways, obviously, there are different ways of giving Musser. Uh, Musser can be given privately. Musa can be given publicly, and the, and the question is, you have to pick the right moment to do the right thing. Yeah, so uh, I don't know that I could say much more about that. Okay, I'm, I'm sure over the years you've had many people like that. I'm sure there's no question about that. But, um, you know, I, I always think it's funny, you know, when I go to a simcha, and when people introduce the rabbi, they always make a point of saying, not only is he my rabbi, but he's my friend. What do, what do you think? What, what are people are they trying to say like, oh, wow, you know, it's, the relationship is much more than just the rabbi. Is that it? I thought they only said that about me. They say that about no, other rabbis no, too. I remember, most of the places I've gone to have been your shul. So I've, actually, I'm spoiled because they say that. But it's always interesting to me. Anyway, listen, we're going to do one last thing. And which it is, says, uh, Maybe some people believe, Okay, well, there are a lot, of, a lot of good shatim on that. But okay, I want to end with what I told you about, the way I do this thing, which is called the lightning round. I'm just going to give you some things, more or less. Tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, here we go. You ready? One, who's the greatest person that you ever met? The Rav of Rav Lichtenstein. Okay, what about the greatest person who ever lived? 
Moshe Rabbeinu. I think it's a good answer. Good. How, is there anybody now, a person living now, that you didn't, that you've never met, but you'd like to meet? Person living now. Yeah, a person living now that you that you, you've never met, but you'd like to meet. Gee, that's a, a question I've never thought of. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, people uh, like that. I, I I don't have a, a good answer off the top of no my problem. head. No problem. What about a person in, in history who lived? Anybody at all who you would you'd love to meet? A person in history that I would love to meet. Menachem Begin. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever meet him, by the way? I met Yitzhak Shamir. I met Bibi. Uh, I don't remember if I met Begin. Really interesting. I'm surprised. Okay. What about the best speaker you ever heard? Dr. Norman Lamb, the Rav. Okay. Good answer. If you had, if you were in a foxhole, who would you want with you? My wife. I knew you'd say that, by the way. I absolutely knew that. Okay. Who's the smartest person you ever met? The Rav of Lichtenstein. I guess I knew that. Greatest leader you ever met? Depends what you mean by a leader. I mean, uh, the Rav was also a leader. Okay. Okay. Good. No, I, I'll accept that. What about, I know you read a lot. So who's your favorite writer? I have a, a lot of favorite writers. because I, I read a lot of history, and I, I, I just uh, read the people who impart ideas to me. I don't have one particular uh, favorite writer. Okay. Um, anyone but, who writes interesting things is my favorite writer. What about a favorite book or safer? You know, I love the Chomish. I love the Gemara. I love, uh, I love the Ramban. I love um, the, uh, the material which comes out of the Yeshivat Hari Atzion, uh, uh, Migadim and, and a lot of their a lot of their teachers uh, that uh, uh, I love uh, Rav Yaakov Meidan, uh, for example. Right. Okay. I know that you're very healthy. I know everybody knows about that. But do you have a late night snack? When my wife's not looking. Go ahead. What is it? Anything. Anything that's sweet. Okay. Favorite Shabbos song. Doror Yikra. What about Tefillah? Your favorite. Your best. The Tefillah you like the most. The Tefillah I like the most. I like Tefillah Zaka. Oh, okay, that's that's a beautiful one. What about Chag, your favorite Chag? My favorite Chag? Well, I mean, the women don't like Pesach because they have to do all that preparation, so I have to have Rachmanus on my wife. My, I, I like all the Chagim when you have an opportunity to get together with your family, which is, uh, and, and, and look at, and if you're blessed with children and grandchildren, to be able to spend uh, time with them. And uh, opportunities on occasion as well to have friends over and to to share the uh, the festivity and to share the meals and uh, an interesting discussion. Okay, one last question. I know you've been all over, and now I hear obviously you're going to Manila and to and to, to other areas you've never been to. But is there any place in the world that you've never been to that you still like to go? Oh, sure. There are uh, there are places I'd, I'd like to go. Um, I'd like to go to um, to South Africa. I know that. Uh, I'd like to. Um, um, I've seen a good part of Europe. Uh, by the way, I, I do want to say that we're trying to hold another trip to Poland. My sixth trip to Poland. We have. I think it's very important to go to Poland. Yeah, I agree. Um, because it, that aspect of Jewish history, to know what could be done to us, and to see, you can't obviously you don't see the Nazis Yemach uh, Shemam functioning, but to see what they did is incredible. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think of all the places I'd like to go to that I, you know, I, I have a list, but... But you've never been to South Africa? I've never been to South Africa. Really? Okay, that's certainly worthwhile. Anyway, listen, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and, um, you know, unrestricted. You know, it's funny because when I started 
to think about the, the podcast you know, Unrestricted, which is basically to talk to people who will tell me more or less what they think. Even when you were the rabbi, you were still unrestricted. There's no question about that. You haven't changed. You've been the same person, which is which is wonderful. So thank you so much for being on the show. Really good luck to you and all, all your endeavors. And uh, Rafua Shalema with the knee. And uh, we, we wish you well. And uh, I know that uh, you're still going to play an important role in the Jewish world because that's just who you are. Thank you, Steve. Can I have one last word? I, I just want to say that the pleasure is all mine. Uh, I remember the first time we met, we both had children. We met at the hospital uh, at the time. We met at a happy moment, and uh, it's, a hap it's always a pleasure to be able to, to speak with you, and also a pleasure to see what a beautiful family you have raised, uh, Baruch Hashem, and wonderful generations that have come from you as, as people and as, uh, as Jews. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Unrestricted, hosted by Steve Savitsky. The show was produced and edited by Gilad Brownstein and is a production of B'nai Zion.